Welcome to the Shepherd Psalm. We're looking line by line at Psalm 23, and we're using W. Philip Keller's book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, as our guide. So we strongly encourage you to get this book. He's got several other books available uh, that are very good as well. Uh, today we are covering chapter 10 of Keller's books, uh, Keller's book, specifically looking at this sentence, uh, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So let's read Psalm 23 as we begin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Anytime I would read this line from David's psalm, you anoint my head with oil, I would always think back to the times in Scripture where it would talk about a priest anointing or a prophet anointing a priest or a king uh, for God's purposes. And they would take a flask of oil and they would pour it over the head of the person that they were anointing for ministry. Um, sometimes it was so much oil that it would actually run down the head of the person and run into the beard of the man that was being anointed to serve God. Uh, but we have to remember that's not the context of David's psalm. He's not referring to being anointed as priest or king or prophet or anything else. This is all about the relationship between the sheep and its shepherd. So we have to ask ourselves, why would a shepherd anoint a sheep's head with oil? So the first reason the shepherd would anoint a sheep with oil is because of pests, or our spiritual application would be worldly irritations. We'll get to that in just a second. For shepherds, as Keller described in his book, he, he, he said shepherds know that summertime is fly time. All sorts of pests bother the sheep. Have you ever been outside on a summer day, especially here in Texas, um, and in a summer day or an evening when you are just swarmed with insects. Summers in Texas, especially in Houston, uh, you will get bombarded by mosquitoes. Uh, when I visit a family in southwest Oklahoma, the houseflies there are terrible. Every summer, it feels like God has unleashed a plague of biblical proportions upon the people of southwest Oklahoma. Restaurants do their best to keep the flies out of the place. But, you know, the minute the door opens, the minute a customer walks in, like 10 flies rush in, and, and they don't displace any other flies. The flies don't want to go back outside. It's too hot outside, so they stay inside where it's nice and air-conditioned. Well, you're eating a meal in this restaurant watching flies land on everything. It's not an appetizing sight. The one fly that was the most troublesome for sheep 
was the nose fly or the nasal fly. And they would buzz around a sheep's head and and if they, if they had the opportunity, they would land on the sheep's nose and deposit eggs on the mucous membranes of the sheep's nose. Well, within a few days, these eggs begin to hatch into worms that will work their way up the nasal passages into the sheep's head. They will burrow into the flesh and create severe irritation and inflammation. Well, there's no relief for, for the sheep from this. So they will ram their head up against anything to cause a momentary lack of frustration and pain. They will rub their heads in the dirt. They will go full speed into walls and can ultimately kill themselves over one tiny bug that has gotten under their skin. They won't eat. They won't drink water. Uh, they won't sleep. If this happens to a lamb that it, or, or if this happens to a ewe, an, a sheep that is nursing a lamb, she can lose so much weight so quickly that she will stop producing milk and thus her lamb will suffer as well. Now a bad shepherd doesn't care about this one sheep when he's the, the one sheep that's going crazy when he's got 99 that are perfectly healthy. You know, 99% of his flock is perfectly fine and that and they don't need any, they don't, they're not causing any problems, they don't need anything. But this one sheep that's always just a troubled sheep, they're always getting into trouble, trouble's always happening to them, they can be very draining for the shepherd. Well, a hireling will not inconvenience themselves with the work that it takes to rid the sheep of this pest. If the fly is successful, the shepherd has a limited amount of time that he can get to the worm before it buries itself too deeply. He has to take the sheep, he has to cut into the nose of the sheep, remove the worm, uh, uh, sanitize it, um, and sew it back up, keep it clean and free from anything that would cause further irritation. Well, Keller wrote that at the first sign of fly time, he would apply an antidote to their heads. It was this mixture with oil and other things that he would smear over their nose and over their head to protect them against the flies because they were just annoying, number one, and they could be damaging and devastating to their health in, a, in the second way. So he wrote that as soon as the mixture was applied to their heads, the sheep would change dramatically. They were no longer bothered by the flies. They were no longer irritated. They were no longer restless and agitated. Instead, they would feed again, and they would eventually lie down in peaceful contentment. Well, 2020 was a year of pests. 2020 was a year of irritations. It started off with Australian brush fires, burning 47 million acres, killing 500 million animals, displacing, displacing thousands of people, killing 34. That's how the year started. Now, really, it was an, uh, happened at the end of December, still going on into January of 2020. We almost went to war with Iran in January of 2020. COVID-19 quickly stole the spotlight with, uh, as of April 17th, 2021, over 3 million deaths worldwide. 
This pandemic set off a domino effect in national economies, with the U.S. stock market having its worst day ever on March 9, 2020. There were controversial deaths of black Americans at the hands of police officers, which sparked protests around the country. Murder hornets made their way into America. 190 people were killed uh, in the accidental detonation of ammonium nitrate in a Beirut port. Sports were canceled, restaurants were closed, schools went online, and people started hoarding toilet paper. The West Coast caught on fire, burning millions of acres. President Trump was impeached and then acquitted. Oil prices tanked and companies started mass layoffs. Brexit officially happened. The hurricane season was officially the most active season on record, with 30 named storms, 12 making landfall, and six major hurricanes. Remember, Hurricane Laura struck Lake Charles, Louisiana with 150 mile per hour winds, tying the strongest storm to ever hit that state. At one point, there were five named storms in the Atlantic. And when you talk to people in 2020, there was fear. There was panic in their hearts, in their minds, and coming out of their mouths. They didn't know what to say to their kids about the end of the world because it really felt like it. People jokingly posted on social media the question, what chapter of Revelation are we in this week? It was a joke, but it felt so real to a lot of people. Never in my life have I seen so many people living in fear. Fear for their jobs, fear for their incomes, fear for their kids, fear for their food and their supplies, fear for the future. Like a nose fly, these irritations and aggravations will make their way inside of us, bury themselves deep down, and will drive us mad. The only way to overcome these spiritual pests is with the oil of God. David wrote, You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Psalm 45 calls it the oil of gladness. When you have your head straight, all the little pests in the world cannot irritate you. God has anointed you and protected your mind from all the things in this world that seek to steal your joy, steal your peace, and steal your attention. A shepherd has to repeatedly put this oil on the sheep for them to be free of pests. Likewise, it's not enough for a Christian to get a one-time fix of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 3, Peter preached that repentance is a key for those who desire times of refreshing from God. Some of us, some Christians stop repenting once they got saved. But once we get saved, we quickly realize all the things in our life that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. And the Holy Spirit begins to reveal the things that we've let into our lives that shouldn't belong there. We need repeated anointing from the Lord so we can be of one mind. Devoting some time to Bible study and prayer will tremendously help you stay in step with God. Praying and then being silent before the Lord so He can speak to you will allow the Holy Spirit to anoint you with fresh oil. We can't do this life on our own. We cannot make it through without the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need Him way more than we're willing to admit. 
And it's time to get honest with ourselves, our struggles, our irritations, and come to him for daily and fresh anointing. Why does the shepherd anoint the sheep with oil? Number two is next. Number two is scabs, or for our spiritual purposes, gossip. So the second reason the shepherd anoints the head of a sheep with oil is to prevent this contagious and frustrating skin disease that they call scabs, or scab. It's caused by microscopic parasites that thrive in warm weather. Sheep love to rub heads as a sign of affection. And this action is also a means of communication between the sheep. Unfortunately, affected sheep spread scab to other sheep through this process of rubbing heads. And when the sheep are in such close proximity, disease spreads easily through this form of communication. Well, gossip is one of the deadliest things in a church. It is a spiritual disease that spreads quickly. A true statement quickly takes on a life of its own with new people with with each new person telling the story people who hear this bit of gossip might even get mad at the person that the gossip is about they didn't start the rumor about themselves but a rumor has been started and so they can get mad at the person that's the subject of the gossip they can say why didn't you come to me with your news why did i have to hear it from someone else you know, when I've been the subject of gossip in the past, I, I've, I have to wonder, when you heard the rumor, why didn't you silence the person who was telling the rumor? And then why didn't you come to me and ask me if it was even true? Gossip thrives when sheep get close to let their spiritual diseases rub off on one another. When scab takes over one sheep, it quickly can spread throughout the whole flock. That's how gossip works as well. The only way to get rid of scab is to take the entire flock of sheep through a medicated dip. The entire sheep has to be immersed to be treated. If any part of the body is left untreated, it is still exposed and is prone to continue spreading the disease. Well, the spiritual application for this should be obvious. When we come to Christ, we must be fully immersed in his death by dying to ourselves. Only then can we be raised to life. Baptism is a wonderful picture of whole, full surrender. But some choose not to fully immerse themselves. Now, we're not talking about different denominations. What I'm talking about is there's a story uh, that back in the days when the Knights Templar would go and fight for the church, they would be baptized before going out to battle. But as they were going under the water, they would hold their sword out from under the water. They would not be baptized with their sword under the water. They would hold it out from the water. And what we understand, what historians have said, is that it was basically a knight's way of saying, look, you can have me because I want to go to heaven when this is all over. If I die in battle, I want to go to heaven. Jesus, you can have me, but the sword is mine to control. And I think some Christians still do this practice in a spiritual way. They get baptized and they hold their wallet out from under the water. Uh, 
They hold their TVs. They hold their favorite sports jersey. They hold their video game console, their porn addiction, their lottery tickets, their hobbies, their addictions, their vices. For a person who's a gossip, they, they go in the water, but they keep their mouth just above the surface. You can have me, Jesus, but you can't have this. I, this is mine. I do not surrender this to you. This is still a part of me, and I want to keep control of it. When a person chooses to not fully surrender to Christ, then they're not a follower. They're just a fan. But Jesus isn't looking for fans. He is looking for fully devoted followers. He's looking for people who will deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. He's looking for disciples. He's looking for people who will fully immerse themselves in his death. Because only then will you ever find true and abundant life. He's looking for people who won't hold anything above the water of surrender. But people who let go of everything to take hold of this great salvation. When my dad was growing up back in the 50s and 60s, uh, it seemed like everything that is commonplace now, everything that's kind of a normal thing that you do, go to, experience, whatever, everything that was common is commonplace now was really considered a sin back then. He wasn't able to go to baseball games because they drank alcohol there. Uh, some restaurants were off limits because they served alcohol. Now, my dad never drank. But because other people did, he could not attend these events. When he became an adult, he learned that you can be around bad stuff and choose not to engage in it. In the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but that doesn't mean he sinned with them. He knew how to separate the two. He could be around sinful people and love them, regardless of the spiritual hang-ups that they had. To keep us from being tormented from pests and scabs, these irritations and these, the, the gossip that can easily fill our time, we look to Paul's guidance in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. He reminds us of guidance to understand what we need to focus on. He says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Now, I don't think baseball games are sinful any more than knitting or watching a TV show is. But we must be careful that these things don't become addictions or obsessions. The enemy will absolutely use anything he can to get our minds and our hearts off Christ, to combat that we have to regularly allow the Holy Spirit to anoint our heads with oil so that our cup overflows. We hope that you have a wonderful week. We only have two more chapters to cover, so two more videos. So we will see you next week, and we will cover chapter 11 in Keller's book where he talks about, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. It's an exciting chapter. We hope to see you then. God bless.